Welcome to Inside the C-Suite, Journeys. I'm your host, Glenn Friedman, CEO of Prager Medicine International, a, a global solution to all your advisory and accounting needs. I want to take a moment to thank NJBIA for all of their support. And today's guest is Stuart Raynor. Stuart is the CEO of JCC Metro West in New Jersey. So Stuart, please introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Stuart Rayner. I am glad to be here. Uh, I've uh, been with uh, JCC Metro West for about four years, originally from Baltimore, Maryland, but I've lived most of my life in Texas, Colorado, more in the western part of the country. So I've, uh, this is my uh, first time back since I was in college, and it's great to be back on the East Coast. Wow, and I thought this was going to be a, a short trip. Um, you've been all over. So tell, tell us about that trip a little bit. Where did you go to college? I went to a great school that is not necessarily all that well known. It's a liberal arts school called McDaniel College. It's about an hour uh, west of Baltimore. Uh, great, great school in terms of just teaching and learning. Then I went to graduate school at Washington University in St. Louis. And I also uh, studied at the Hebrew University in Jerusalem for a year. Wow, that's fascinating. And did you um, have any jobs while you were going to college? I did. I well, certainly had jobs all through every summer, um, even, even though, you know, I, I, uh, I found an old uh, invoice uh, statement for, uh, for a year of my college expenses or tuition, and I think it was like Fifty-some hundred dollars a year, but back then that was a lot of money. So I uh, I went to uh, I worked all every summer, and then I graduated early. So I I worked uh, for a semester so I could save up for graduate school. So yeah, and I did all kinds of odd jobs. So you didn't just go into the family business. You didn't inherit your position. Uh, no, I did not. The family business was uh, my dad was a was a teacher and administrator in public schools in Baltimore City. And my mom was actually a bookkeeper in your business in, with accounting firms. So I did not go into the family business, no. Okay, did you, uh, so think back to you know those younger years. Um, did you say to yourself, gee, I wanna be a CEO someday? Never, never. Never, did you say to yourself, I wanna be in the not-for-profit sector? Not exactly. Um, you know, when I was really young, I wanted to be a doctor. And I actually sort of tried to convince myself when I went to college that I was going to be a doctor. But I was sort of fooling myself So uh, because I have literally no aptitude for science. So after about a, after about a semester, I realized this, this pathway is not going to open up for me. What am I going to do? But I still had this sort of desire to be around medicine and healthcare. So I actually pursued a graduate degree in health administration and planning. That was at Washington University. So I started my career as a hospital administrator. And, and while it wasn't necessarily for-profit, uh, there were both, obviously. There were for-profit hospitals and not-for-profit hospitals. So, so I, you know, I was on the edge of that world. And, um, and it just sort of worked out this way. So, so how does somebody go from being a, a guy who's got summer jobs and going to school and his parents are clearly not the CEO of an organization to becoming a CEO? Well, it wasn't exactly overnight. I mean, it, 
it was a uh, it was a long trip. Um, you know, it's like like most people, you start at a lower level job and you work at summer jobs. You know, I was trying to pay bills and just learn about life. And uh, my parents thought I should have a job when I was young. I mean, times have changed. Um, I was, I think, 14 when I had my first paying job that wasn't around the house. But, you know, I started uh, working in a variety of jobs. And then when I, uh, when I came out of graduate school, I had this degree that, uh, that uh, gave me credentials to start working in a hospital. And I interviewed at a lot of hospitals. They had a placement program. And in essence, um, after doing a year of residency of a hospital administration residency in a hospital, they hired me to stay. And I was sort of the, the lowest ranking administrator in that particular hospital. So it was like everything else. You work and you work your way up and it takes time and you stumble and fall and win and lose and learn. And you know, eventually you get there. That's it, huh? Or you get there if, if you have drive to stick to it. And, you know, it's not easy, but that's what happened. Do you consider yourself a competitive person? Or driven? Uh, I'm So, you know, that's an interesting question. I, I, I don't think I have a typical CEO personality. I do and don't. So what drives me is something that I actually learn from my first boss in the first hospital that I ever worked in. He was a physician, his name was C.B. Jackson, and he was really one of the country's best physicians, very highly educated, very well known. He was the vice president of MD Anderson um, Cancer Hospital in Texas. He was a super brilliant person and had been recruited to run this community hospital in San Antonio, Texas, where, where I went. But the thing I learned about him was striving for high quality, to be really good at what you do. Not me personally, but, but the, 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 the hospital, to be a really great organization. And I assumed that that's what everybody did. And I was young. I was, you know, right out of graduate school. And I said, well, everybody's trying to be great. Well, that isn't really true. And uh, what I found is it's the exception, not the rule. And uh, so ever since, I've always tried to, to be really good as the leader of the organization and to create a great organization that meets its mission. But I'm not competitive in like an outside world. I just want to do really good work. And that's and that's why it's always been. That's, that's interesting. I, I would agree with that. Do you? I have this theory that life is sort of cumulative, right? And right. that, and and it's like a snowball sort of going down a hill, and you you, you pick up um, snow along the way. And so even from that those summer jobs to to the office of CEO, don't you feel like there are experiences that you had that make you a better CEO today? Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, you know, when I worked in a pharmacy at the, at the counter of where a person would come and pick up their prescriptions, and I was, you know, I was in college, and you learn how to deal with customers and their issues and keep them calm and, you know, make sure that they, they, they feel good, that they're, what they're there for is going to happen. I mean, those are all things that stick with you. Um, but uh, I, I'm not sure today that's happening as much as it did when you and I were working because I think there's – there's the, there's a tendency to skip pieces, and you know I'm a big proponent of a, proponent of a liberal arts education in college, but 
that doesn't happen so frequently anymore. People go right into a professional pursuit, and that can be good if you know what you want to do. Uh, but I do think learning more about things that aren't necessarily related to your profession rounds you out as a person, and I think you perform better when that happens. So. You know, I agree. In fact, I've often said that I've learned more from artists um, than I have from business people when yeah. it comes to uh, my profession. Creativity, organization, working within, working with what you have to work with um, often formulates what, what an artist creates. Um, if you have a, a stone in front of you, you can only create something within the confines of that stone. So um, I, I completely agree. And I think I learned so many lessons along the way from doing different things that you, you can apply. Right, I think, as you, I think as you age and also or have more experience, you realize that um, the more you learn, the less you know. And that, that sort of becomes part of the humility of, of life as, as you grow older and have more experience in a, in a job. I, I agree with that. So um, when you're, do you feel like there's, that, you're, that there's something so unique to you that would prohibit anybody else from uh, attaining entree into the C-suite? That no, no. I'm just like I'm. I'm just. I'm for, first of all, I'm very fortunate that I that I I have a job leading an organization that's been in business since 1877. And I think back. That's 12, 12 years after the Civil War ended. And I think about what the organization has gone through in 140 some years. That's a heavy thing to think about. And what they have survived just in any organization has gone through that long of a period of existence. But what I'm thinking now is that of all the things that they have done and have survived, this, this particular pandemic is a challenge that's sort of beyond all. And, it, and I mean, it keeps me very much grounded into the nuts and bolts of what we're doing and serving our community, but also trying to keep us as a healthy organization, and that's challenging. I appreciate that. So let's talk about that a little bit. What's the biggest change you've had to deal with uh, going through this pandemic? So, I mean, I think it sort of falls into a number of buckets or categories. You know, there's certainly the, the physical plant, and we were shut down for a long period of time, but the physical plant and then changing our protocols around keeping people safe. So that that's like a whole uh, section or a piece of what we've done. We have furloughed and hired and furloughed and hired people throughout this whole thing. Uh, and, and I think because of that, I'd say the biggest change for me is being honestly and sincerely empathetic to the individual situations of our staff. I mean, people are going through some really difficult and challenging times and they need honesty and, and empathy, and we are trying our best to support them while we're also trying to support our business, and um, and that's a, that's a challenge. So that to me, that's number. I, I haven't been successful a hundred percent, but I have. I'm trying to literally call every employee we have and take time to at least speak with them, and we're probably two thirds of the way through that. But uh, and we're finding like all businesses, you know, people during the stretch of time that we have been between closing and reopening, which we are now doing, 
people have moved on. They've had to find other opportunities, and, and that's a challenge. So I, I, I commend you because I think it is all about the people. And I think that uh, a pandemic really brings that out. I also feel blessed because I honestly have not interviewed anybody in any one of these podcasts at, at the C-suite level that doesn't really have empathy um, for their team members. And, uh, you know, it, makes, it humbles me and makes me uh, proud to be a part of uh, any C-suite. So let me ask you this. If I'm a young person and, and you I wanna, are. no, I'm not a young person, but um, if you are a young person, <laughs> at heart, I'm a young person. Maybe. I don't know what my cardiologist would say about that. But is, is there opportunity in future and not for profit for young people? Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of opportunity and not for profit is sort of a big grab ball name of there's so many kinds of not-for-profits that uh, whether it's you know, health related arts related uh, educationally related whatever it is there's tons of there's tons of opportunity and I guess like anything in life you sort of have to narrow down your your field of interest and try to target an entry to something that's at least at least um, in that area and and I, t I have two children who are going to be uh, 30 this year and um, they laugh at me because I, I remember times in my life where I couldn't get hired and I said I'll work for free for a month just give me a try and if you don't like it I walk away nothing lost and they look at me of course like I'm crazy like who would do something like that but you know that's what we did and and uh, to me a lot of a lot of that and getting in and breaking in is just getting in front of the right people and just proving Perseverance. Perseverance, yeah. And I know now the number of applications for every any individual job, especially if it's a virtual job, you don't have to go into a building. It's you know thousands of people for one job. It's tough. Yeah. No, I agree. And uh, well, do you is do you draw any distinction? Do you really think that there's a difference between running a for-profit and a so-called not-for-profit organization? Well, I don't think there's a difference in sort of the bottom line of what has to happen. You have to be successful. Uh, you know, not-for-profits have bills to pay just like for-profits have bills. We have staffing costs. We have benefit costs. We have facility costs. We have, you know, the same costs that, that a for-profit has. And I guess it depends on the individual situation. Um, I, I, so I don't think there's a difference. The challenge for a lot of not-for-profits is we can't raise capital like for-profits can. So it's a challenge because we have to go to donors um, and donors can be generous and are generous, but but it's a different kind of a capital raising process than you know if a business would go out for capital. So, so and we're not returning to an investor. We're returning to ourselves and the community that we're serving. So I think that's the difference. But in the end of the day, you've got to run a profitable venture. And, you know, our our sense of whatever we quote call capital is reinvested back into, excuse me, profit is reinvested back into our business. So uh, we're not we're we're not that dissimilar. That's interesting. Well, although, although with certain exceptions, you know, the, the rate of pay is generally not as, as well in a not for profit. So you have to want. You have to be driven somewhat by the mission of, of that 
Yeah. Well, you know, I was just about to apply for a position, and I was going to offer you 30 days of me for free to see what. Well, I would say if you could make it 45, we might try it. There you go. But you also discouraged me when you told me I'd have to contend with a thousand applicants. So anyway, with that, Steve, I really enjoyed this conversation. I appreciate you joining us inside the C-Suite for our journey. And uh, I look forward to uh, meeting you in person one day. Thank you. Me too. Thank you.